0: No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense of it all. Welcome to
1: Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community. With the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our thoughts on target. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We are very excited to be sharing with you our conversation with Sugarproof authors, Dr. Michael Goran and Dr. Emily Ventura. They are fascinating and really helped us understand the greater depths of how sugar and sweeteners affects our kids. And we've talked a little bit about health and nutrition with other people, other professionals in the past on our podcast. And today we are sharing with you just a little bit of that deeper insight, again, into sweeteners specifically. And um, you're going to find this really interesting and just Uh, a greater insight into how this really plays into our kids' behaviors and other areas of their lives. So we hope you enjoy and get a lot out of it. Um, Also, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Tell your friends, family, give us a five-star rating. That would be amazing. Also, join us over on our community platform at totsontarget.com where you can post questions, uh, post any topic related to child development, and other parents and professionals can join in on those topics and share their thoughts and give you advice on anything you have, um, any of your thoughts. So we'd love to see you over there. And all right, we're really excited to share this podcast with you today. So without further ado, here we go. We are so excited
0: today to be chatting with Dr. Gorin and Dr. Ventura. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us on. Really, really thank you for your interest in Sugar Proof. It's really delighted.
0: Well, I have to say, um, Dr. Ventura uh, mailed me a hard copy of the book, and I've been so excited to dive in and to read some of this really interesting information. And I have to say, I'm a mom of two young kids. My daughter is 10, and my son is seven. And you know, just reading some of the information in this book, just how much sugar is everywhere. Um, specifically, I, I read, you know, post-1970. And also just looking at some of the behaviors that my own son exhibits. Um, I am I'm convinced he may have a sugar addiction. So I sort of want to start off. How did you guys get together and decide that you wanted to tackle this problem and really bring this information to
3: parents? Sure yeah so i I've been doing research in this area for over twenty years um, wasn't initially focused on sugar specifically. we were just looking at the diets of children and how that related to weight gain and chronic disease risk um, But sugar kept coming up as a as a as an issue as a factor related to the outcomes that we were looking at. Emily was a graduate student in my lab at the time, and she can tell you about the studies that she was involved with. But the story evolved as, and there were several critical aha moments that made this all come together as important, not just that kids are consuming more sugar, but kids are consuming different types of sugar, why they're more vulnerable to sugar. Um, We can talk about that in more detail. And the story just came together. And I just thought it was important to get that message out because a lot of parents like me, like Emily, like yourself are dealing with this issue uh, because we're all parents too. Um, And there's a lot written about it, but we wanted to put it together based on the science, based on the current research. And we wanted to make tools and strategies available also, a lot of those exist, but we wanted to bring them together, the best of them, ones that we've used in our research and other people have used too, and make them broadly available. So we wanted, we wanted news that you can use, and we wanted to, to bring those both aspects together, the latest research and practical applications.
0: Mm-hmm. Based on your research and your own clinical experience, what are some what are some of the detrimental health effects that you are noticing in children because of too much sugar?
3: Those can vary tremendously across the body. And we talk about how sugar affects kids literally from head to toe. So those could be on a learning ability, focus, concentration, memory, ability to recall facts, doing homework, performance on standardized tests has been associated with uh, too much sugar consumption. Some of the other effects are less noticeable, the what we call the under the skin effects, uh, because they're very slow developing chronic conditions, like not just weight gain, but diabetes, fatty liver disease, cardiovascular disease, Sometimes that manifests in childhood and it's getting more common, unfortunately, but for most kids, that's kind of a long-term, slowly evolving asymptomatic process. So we don't just wake up at age 45 or 50 with diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Um, Those are lifelong um, conditions that relate back to early nutrition.
0: A lot of the effects that you had mentioned We're definitely, I mean, I'm still in the schools. I'm an OT in the schools. And even just speaking with teachers, um, we are noticing there just seems to be more kids who are struggling with a lot of things that you mentioned with attention difficulties, um, behavioral issues. And it's hard. It's like, how do we connect the dots and, you know, be able to tease out, is this really possibly diet related and specifically an issue with sugar? Um, Is this more of a more of a diagnosable problem, like an ADHD, or are they overlapping? And how do do, do doctors and scientists and um, people in academia, how do we tease that out, whether it's, you know, sugar? I guess you would do uh, an elimination diet, right? Would that be the way you would be able to decide?
3: I mean, scientifically, it's hard to really tease all those things apart. But the best thing I can do, the best thing I can suggest, and Emily probably want to talk a bit more about this, is be your own scientist as a parent uh, mm-hmm. with those eliminations. And studies have shown, and I can talk about several of them, for example, kids with undiagnosed tummy problems. There was a very good study that um, just took those kids off of sugar and, and it solved the tummy problems. And that was undiagnosed fructose malabsorption. That's just one example. There's others too. But you as a parent can be a scientist with your kids And in our experience, working on the book, working with dozens of families who tried our strategies, they discovered new kids. And I'll let Mm -hmm. Emily talk a little bit more about that. And I think that's one definite piece of advice I would give is, yes, there's a body of research, but kids are all different. That's the problem. Kids are all different. Their homes are different. Their contexts are different. And you need to know what works. Just like nutrition for yourself as an adult is individualized the same is true for your kids Mm -hmm. and you have to find out what those issues are
2: and i think you know adding to what michael has said it looking and we were starting in on this project we realized that there's just there were no books out there that were appropriate for children because a lot of these sugar books that are focused on adults are really like diet plans um, that are very extreme and wouldn 't work for children and wouldn't work in the long run for families and we certainly don't want to have any type of restrictive approach that backfires and ends up giving you making kids afraid of sugar or you know afraid to eat or anything like that um, so really we just you know we wanted to give a balanced message of helping families understand that some of these risks are real but <laughs> You know, there's creative ways to address them in your family, and a lot of it also comes with just developing greater enjoyment for some foods that just naturally don't have added sugars in them. Um, And then, like Michael said, you know, being your own scientist and trying out some of the strategies that have worked for us and strategies that have worked for families that we've worked with – you know just simple things even like making a shift in what you have for breakfast and um, that's a big one that's made a big difference in you know, our families and then other families that we've worked with too um, yeah so i think you know we just wanted to kind of Bring together all the science, but also practical approaches that are realistic and um, attainable for busy families.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like that's such an important point you make because as somebody who you know uh, Mary's definitely more researched on this topic, but um, you know I have I have four kids and there's early morning is a very busy time and thinking about trying to eliminate sugar or at least added sugars. It's a huge strain as a mom because a lot more is then you have to do from scratch. Because when you walk up and down the aisles in a supermarket, you look at the ingredients, and there's some form of sugar in almost all the products that my kids would certainly want to have. And so, what are some of the ideas that you have of shifting? You know, starting with something like breakfast as the "quote unquote" most important meal of the day, and what are some of those easy to go to ideas that you reference in your book?
3: Yeah, we, we, we have a lot of different um, what we call fixes uh, for those issues. Um, you're exactly right, by the way. 70, 70% of processed foods have added sugar of some sort, and 80% yeah. of foods targeted to children have some type of added sugar. And it's becoming harder to identify yeah, because there's over 200 different names as well. Um, and oftentimes it gets broken down into multiple sugars and kind of hidden in the ingredient list. So, but um, there's ways to get around that without um, getting trapped into the processed food um, situation. And so, I mean, it depends what 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 the situation is in your house. But so, for example, for breakfast cereals, which firstly I'm not a huge fan of, but for many families, that is a go-to. Um, you no, know, there there are healthy brands out there. I look for three grams of added sugar or less.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, for simple things like toast or pancakes, you don't need to smother them with added sugar. There's lots of ways to enjoy a piece of toast or pancakes without maple syrup or jam, um, such as ricotta cheese or nut butter or something savory. I think. We assume breakfast ought to be sweet um, but it doesn't have to be um, and there's multiple suggestions we have in the book for you know simple fixes
2: mm-hmm. to
3: to turn that around and Emily I, I know that you probably want to add to that as well with some maybe give some examples of families that really turned their whole um, situation around and no big noticeable changes in their kids, because what happens at breakfast with too much sugar is your kids get on what we call the sugar roller coaster. Yes, sugar provides energy, and that's probably the reason why we think it ought to be good. But that energy is short-lived, and is followed by a very sudden crash and craving for more food, which means more sugar, and that's the up and down roller coaster that we're talking about.
2: Yeah, to so to get kids off. To help them not board the roller coaster in the first place in the morning, the key really is to give them some protein and ideally also something with fiber in it to stabilize the glycemic response to what they're eating. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of kids now are home um, doing home learning and I think parents are more aware of how kids are responding mid-morning to what they ate. So it's a good chance to kind of, you know, if you have the chance to observe your kids around nine or 10 a.m. and see how they're responding to what they, you know, are eating, it's you can kind of figure things out that way. Um, but previously when kids, you know, were in school, a lot of parents aren't seeing, you know, the crash that's happening after the sugary breakfast cereal or the toaster waffles with syrup. And one of my favorite stories that we include in the book is one from one of our families that did the seven day challenge with us. And um, the daughter and the, the two daughters in the family. Um, there's two girls, and one of them was falling asleep every morning. She was 14 and falling asleep every morning at 9:30 in second period. And her teacher sent an email to the parents saying, "You know, I can't figure out why Grace is falling asleep every day in my class. She's such a capable student. I understand she knows the material, but she's really struggling." And they couldn't figure out, the parents couldn't figure it out either. Um, so they tried, you know, having her shift her 9.30 bedtime to 9 p.m. They tried taking the phone away at 7 to prevent light exposure. And it wasn't until months later when they did our challenge and she changed her breakfast that she started being able to stay awake in class. Wow. And her, yeah, her previous breakfast was Honey Nut Cheerios um, or another similar cereal with whole milk, and then a glass of uh, juice blend, like 100% juice, it was peach, mango, and orange. And then she was also having her two vitamins in the morning, so she was having her multi-gummy vitamin plus a calcium chew. So the combined effect of that breakfast was giving her a huge sugar high, and then she was crashing a couple hours later.
1: Wow, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that is really interesting because, um, you know, it's, it's funny, I was actually, my, my kids also like Honey Nut Cheerios. It's kind of the one, Cereal that I sometimes feel like is my happy medium go to because they want the Fruit Loops or they want the Frosted Flakes. And I'm like, Oh, I have that jingle in my head. There's only one gram of sugar a bowl, but I think that's for regular Cheerios and not the honey nut ones. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but it's, it, but the jingle actually
3: oh, almost, almost definitely that would be right? the regular, but,
1: yeah. but you know, but still in my mind, honey nut Cheerios, like, Oh, honey is probably healthier than sugar and the nuts and the Cheerios. So this is probably a really healthy breakfast for my kids. And I'll be honest, I definitely fall into that category of parents that like, that's probably one of the go-to breakfasts that I give my kids. Um, but
2: I keep eating them. I have yeah. to <laughs> I
3: did. There's a great study that was done uh, that we talked about where it was done at a summer camp where they had two, so they separated the kids into two groups and one, they gave free access to sugary cereals, frosted flakes and so on, and probably honey hot cereals um, and the other group got low sugar cereals like your, your one gram of added sugar type cereal that, right. the plain os and um, but what they did was they offered the, they offered them also bowls of um, berries or chopped fruit um, to go with it and the kids in the low sugar group. Uh, ended up serving themselves less of the cereal and they were perfectly happy. In fact, kids love to do that. They love to add stuff on top and see so they they will make their own little concoction with berries or um, flax or whatever it is you want to throw on top to up the nutritional quality. Um, because the other thing is also multigrain cereals, which sound healthy, end up having more sugar than the plain ones. So you're much better off going with the plain cereal and making your own concoction of um, chia seeds, berries, whatever, and you can um, up the fiber, up the protein, and get a much more nutritious breakfast that way. So
1: I happen to have celiac, and I laugh because a lot of gluten-free products that people think are healthier actually are loaded with sugar to supplement for the taste. So um, it's interesting. I didn't know that a lot of multigrain cereals and products also have more sugar.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Allison, you brought up a good point that I would love to talk about because you, you touched on it. You actually wrote pretty extensively on it in your book is that not all sugar is the same. So I saw that, you know, before 1970, more kids were sort of getting the white table sugar that you and I would recognize. But since then, there's been a lot more. You talked about high fructose corn syrup and sugar, like you had said, um, Dr. Gurin, like sugar is now taking on s- so many different names and it's in, you know, it's, So, and it's hidden in so many different ways. So can we talk about the quality of sugar and maybe why, or maybe is there a difference between the way the body processes regular white table sugar versus a high fructose corn syrup?
3: Yeah. So, um, so white table sugar is a molecule of glucose connected to molecule of fructose and that's, you know, produced from cane or beet, um, As soon as that's ingested, the glucose and the fructose break apart. Um, The glucose is used all the way through the body for energy. The fructose is not used directly for energy. Uh, It gets taken up by the liver and can be converted into fat. And that process can produce uric acid and other inflammatory uh, markers. Um, That fat can get stuck in the liver or it can be exported back out into the circulation as blood lipids. So um, that's ordinary sugar. Uh, but you mentioned high fructose corn syrup, and I would imagine most of your listeners are familiar with. Mm-hmm. High fructose corn syrup It was, you know, victorious uh sweetener that was introduced, like you mentioned, in the 1970s. It's made from corn, um, but basically it's processed so that it's higher in fructose. And the reason they did that was Food companies did that was because fructose is much sweeter than glucose, so they were able to make a much sweeter um, product, so they could use less of it um, to get more sweetness, um, and that's that's fairly common sweetener in sodas and other products. But there was a bit of there's been a revolt against it, um, but there's a this new proliferation of sweeteners that are also high in fructose that sound very healthy because they're fruit-based sugars. So the predominant sugar in most fruits is, is fructose. Um, but eating a piece of fruit, there's nothing wrong with eating fruit. just want to make that clear because when you eat fruit, there's not that much sugar in it and you get all the other nutrients and the fiber. And it's a built-in slow-release slow, slow, slow mechanism. So the fructose, when you eat an apple, the fructose is released very slowly in the body, which is very different if you take apples and make a juice out of them. You might have all that sugar concentrated in a glass, and then you drink it all at once without the fiber and without the nutrients. So nobody's eating three apples all at once. And so there's lots of fructose, not just in juice, but fructose-based sweeteners like apple juice concentrate or evaporated grape juice or evaporated mango juice or whatever, they're all high in fructose. And coming back to your question, what happens, the more you shift towards fructose, um, the more you shift towards this pathway of that fructose going to the liver and being converted to fat and producing uric acid and other inflammatory compounds and then producing lipids in the blood, which is the hallmark of cardiovascular disease risk, buildup of lipids in the blood. Mm-hmm. So the more we shift towards those fructose-based sweeteners, the more we shift, the body shifts down that pathway.
0: Interesting. So you're saying that glucose doesn't have those same effects on the liver and it doesn't, it doesn't um, induce the same amount of inflammation, glucose?
3: No. Glu- glucose is used... Uh, almost exclusively for energy, okay for talking, mm-hmm. breathing, walking, with, with all organs of the body mm-hmm. um, there there is there is uh, an issue with exclusively glucose based sweeteners, mm-hmm. like let's say organic brown rice syrup, which is all g- glucose based. That becomes an issue for a different reason, because the glucose is a rapid spike in glucose. It's too rapid of a spike. So you want a better balance, and that's why it's important to um, make sure that you have a balance in what you're eating with fiber and protein to offset that. So you don't want too much of a spike in blood glucose levels. Uh, we want them to be maintained more stable.
2: hmm
0: so how do you feel about natural sweeteners like honey or agave? We got some, um, we had put up a text box in our Instagram stories and some people had asked questions about healthier alternatives, like honey, since it's naturally occurring, does it have... Um,
1: I feel like the healthier yeah. recipe books have honey instead of sugar. Or
0: agave um, or
1: things like that. Right. Even though I think honey, like honey has, has more calories in it, actually. Yeah. But again, what, what the health factor is, is a different story. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, agave we're not big on because it's almost almost exclusively fructose. Okay. So most and it varies depending on the type of agave, but the more common ones can be ninety percent fructose. So that's like adding high fructose corn syrup to to something only it's high fructose agave syrup. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, th- I mean, there is some benefits from doing that or from honey. Because I mean, it depends how you're using it. If you if you're adding a little bit to a smoothie or to a yogurt or something like that, at least you're in control of what you add. Um, and so, under those conditions, it's probably probably okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still an added sugar, so you still have to kind of keep it in moderation. If I had to choose, let's say between adding a bit of honey or a bit of monk fruit i'd probably choose the honey because i prefer the taste of it um and it isn't that you know it it, it does have some benefits in the body but emily might want to pick up the pick up from here because we do talk a lot about what is what is you know under conditions of home baking so we're not saying you can't cook something at home or yeah. If you're making a plate of cookies or a birthday cake for your son or daughter, you know, what's the, which sugar should you use? That's, that's a question we we get a lot because we're never saying no more sugar, mm-hmm. right? That's just not going to work and shouldn't work because celebrating with food is an important part of growing up an important part of our culture. So you want to pick up from there, Emily?
2: Sure. You covered so much of it. I think, um, you know, it's, you can play around with a lot of recipes. What we've found, and a lot of families have found, is that sometimes if you find a standard recipe online or in a cookbook, you can cut the sugar by quite a bit, even up to a half, and it doesn't affect the texture and still tastes good. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's no hard fast rules, really. You know, if you do want to bake something, put some honey or maple syrup in it, um, you know, I think that's great on occasion for treats. You just kind of have to, Realize that just because you took out the white sugar and put honey in it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a lower sugar recipe, right? It's still a treat. Um, and for our recipes and sugar proof, we chose to challenge ourselves to not put added sugars in them just because it's, it's harder to develop recipes that way. And we wanted to make sure that we were offering families, alternatives, um, if they wanted to be using them, doing our challenges, or just wanted to be able to have some recipes that they could rely on um, that don't have added sugar. So we chose to sweeten with whole fruits like, you know, bananas or pears or apples. And the benefit of doing that is that you retain the fiber from the fruit when you use those, and you also get some added nutritional benefit, um, vitamins and minerals as well. So those are there in the book for you, for at your disposal, if you want to try them and use them. Um, They've been a big hit in my family. My kids helped me develop them. And some of them come from Michael's family as well. So they're all things that we like. But that's not to say that you can't have regular treats sometimes, too. Um, I think there's definitely a time and place for that as well.
1: Yeah, um, I actually had just bought um, my family one of those Ninja Bullets, the blender thing, because I decided we, we did another podcast recently on the topic of just healthy food and and switching over a little bit. And I was very inspired. So I went out and I bought myself a blender so that I could make smoothies for my kids. And I bought spinach and strawberries and, you know, just trying to add things in. Meanwhile, I made my kids a strawberry smoothie. I actually added in some um, organic yogurt, like some plain yogurt, I think it was. Whatever it was, I put it together and I was like so excited. I give it to them and they drink it and they were like, uh, okay. And, and <laughs> it, I think it was a little bit of a letdown because they thought they were getting like this you know ice cream smooth like a smoothie from Häagen-Dazs um i think that, that was the flavor that they were expecting and um so their expectations were were definitely um depleted and and not a very exciting time for them but um i guess that that leads me to the question which i'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking which is unfortunately a lot of our children myself included by the way our tastes have adapted to expect sweeter foods and so yes, we can say, okay, but well, it's not healthy for them. We know that I, I get tired in the middle of the day and it's probably because I enjoy actually, Mary knows this. I like to eat. Oh, icing. don't tell them. You're going to cringe. It's embarrassing for me, but I eat icing because I really love it only some a day, um, probably more than is appropriate, but I do get, so I, I, I can totally internalize what you're saying that what you're saying is completely true. Um, right. But, you know, how do we make that adaptation so that our kids' taste palates are changing because all, all the stuff that they eat, every birthday party, every school party, everything is treats, treats, and more treats. And even at home, my awesome, healthy smoothie was a complete failure.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, all had those failures. I've had those failures as a mom, you know, recipe testing. And even before that, um, thinking that, you know, something that I liked, that tasted great, a total flop with my kids. or or maybe a hit with one of them and a flop with the other one, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think, you know, there's two things going on here. One is that you may need to just, you know, have some patience, try things multiple times in different ways, involve them in picking out what goes in that smoothie. Um, Sometimes I've noticed my kids, oftentimes actually, if my kids are involved in selecting what's in there and they know what's in there, then they're, you know, they're happy to try it because it's like their own thing that they're proud of. Um, and then also just you know realizing that you m- might need to make some of these changes gradually, you know. So if your kids are really used to having honey nut Cheerios, you might not do so well if you just immediately switch to the plain ones, you know. But you could start mixing them in and just mm-hmm. sort of gradually lower the amount that um, of the sweet ones that you're adding, mm-hmm. um, with, you know. With whatever kind of thing you're talking about, you know, if your kids are used to having, I don't know, sweet yogurts, you can use plain yogurt. Um, there's a lot of different ways to, to make gradual changes. Yogurt did actually a
1: really important one because um I did not realize my, my son, one of them loves those yo crunch yogurts with the MMs ms or the Oreos on top. And I, he was eating, I think like three or four a day. I'm not kidding. Like that was like his favorite thing. I was like, okay, it's it And then I looked at the sugar. Count. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think they were like 17 grams of sugar in one. Yeah, it's a dessert, really. I, yeah, mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. this is what we're starting the day off with? Like, that's crazy. But I tried buying other yogurts. And again, it was a little bit of a failure. He was, it was, it didn't taste like a dessert anymore. So maybe you're right. Like combining the yogurts to start out with may be a good idea.
3: Yeah. and here's, here's, here's the deal on sweetness. So it's very important to to to, to that you your listeners kind of um, are familiar with this concept. So kids are actually born with a built-in preference for sweetness. Okay, um, but that can be easily amped up. And this this built-in preference is supposed to be a protective mechanism. It was an evolutionary process to help them like breast milk and avoid toxic compounds from the forest floor okay it wasn't it wasn't built for a current food environment of yolk, crunchy yogurts and you <laughs> know and that but that's that's the environment that we're in right so and in that environment this innate preference for sweetness can easily get amped up okay the the more it's the more it's fed the more it gets amped up But that's the bad news. The good news is just like it can get amped up and get amped down too. And there's two ways to do that. Like Emily mentioned, you can kind of gradually scale back. If soda and juice is a big problem, then you can gradually dilute it. One week, 25%, the next week, 50%. And eventually, um, you can eliminate the sugars from juice. Or you can go cold turkey and some... In the book, we talk about both because some families like the cold turkey idea. Some families like yours sound like it might be more of a gradual shift. In the cold turkey, you say, okay, that's it. No added sugars. And you go through your house and your kitchen and your pantry and your fridge and find all the sources for added sugar and see what it's like without it for a week. Not to say to give it up forever. Just say, let's just see what happens, and the first couple of days are going to be really tough, and especially um, if, if there's a lot of sugar in your in your house, but after those first few days you you will get noticeable reawakening of taste buds, you can amp down that craving for sweetness, and we've seen many cases where there's just a reawakening of those taste buds. Where they will become more perceptive to alternative flavors, much more so than before. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, let's talk about that because you said you have the seven-day challenge. What have been some responses? Like what, what sort of feedback have you been getting from moms and dads who have done this? What have they said? What's been the change?
2: There's a lot of awareness that happens. So the idea is that you take out all all added sugar for seven days. Um, Not necessarily because you're going to continue on that, you know, path indefinitely. It's just a seven day challenge to see what it's like to take it out. And um, part of that involves, you know, having to look in your pantry and do, you know, more label and, and things when you're shopping. And, and that's when the realizations start to happen, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize my pasta sauce is full of sugar or I didn't realize there's a teaspoon of sugar in every single slice of this bread or, um, you know, peanut butter. Just some of the things that you just don't think of as sweet um, oftentimes do have a considerable amount of added sugar in them and you know families kind of tend to struggle the first day or two uh, maybe feel irritable or you know are experiencing cravings and then after that you know start to quickly find some new alternatives that um that they like and then start to see some changes you know some of the families said wow i, I didn't realize that my daughter's moodiness was related to sugar i just thought she was kind of moody and i was nervous for what's going to happen when she comes a teenager because she was already so moody at age 8 um so, yeah, I mean, even within a week, there can be some dramatic changes. And then moving forward, I think a lot of parents started to ask themselves the question of, well, now we're at this point where you've taken it out. So what's worth it to add back in? So is it worth it to be, you know, adding back in the peanut butter that has the sugar, or bread that has the sugar? Or do we want to kind of keep our new staples that don't have sugar and then kind of reserve the treats for something that actually feels like a treat to the kids, you know? Um I don't think any kid having a piece of toast with peanut butter is going to feel like
1: that a treat. I, I think that that's the biggest problem is that the healthy things that we think we're buying are are often just as junky as the, the, you know, Kit Kats or fruit roll-ups or whatever it is that, you know, those are designated snacks. And we talk to our kids about, you know, healthy choices and limiting those junky items. But when you're serving your kids these Quote unquote healthier options that are have you know, just as much sugar, it's very confusing as a parent. Like, you think you're doing the right thing, or you know, whatever we consider right. Um, but the effects of those decisions, sit, like, really can play out in so many different ways in terms of
3: mood, behavior, mm-hmm. etc.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you
0: got to yeah, be a label, can-
3: yeah, you can go a long way by just identifying what some of those usual culprits might be. And you might not even be thinking about them, but like you mentioned, the pasta sauce or the peanut butter. um, And that's a very simple switch that can be made that can actually make a a decent impact. So are you looking for,
1: sorry to interrupt you, are you looking for sugar-free items of those things, organic options? Like if you want to serve your kids peanut butter, but you don't want the ones that have all the sugar, where do you find the alternative option?
3: Well, you, you do have to, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to look at the ingredient list um, okay. and just make sure they don't have um, added sugars. It could still be organic and have added sugar, for example, so that uh, that that's not the best method. But um, usually when something like peanut butter is pretty easy because there's only a couple of ingredients usually.
2: Yeah, there's a number of brands of peanut butter that are just peanuts and salt roasted peanuts organic even um, with a little salt and that's it. And, you know, you do have kind of the oil separation at the top, but once you get used to that and stir it in, it's, um, you know, oftentimes no big deal. That's what Got we it. buy. It.
3: <laughs> but for other, other products, I have, a, I have a friend who uses the term quality junk. So, mm-hmm. um, I, and I was thinking about it <clears throat> the other day in the context of Halloween because somebody was writing about all of the additives and preservatives and Halloween candy. <clears throat> I'm talking about if you are going to buy Halloween candy, buy quality candy without the preservatives, um, without um, al- alternative sweeteners, which we haven't talked about too much yet. But um, that's kind of another, another issue.
1: Mm-hmm. What, um, what should parents be aware of in, in terms of the products that are labeled sugar-free? Is that what parents
3: should be going for? Or is that a whole other can of worms? It's another, it's another can of worms because uh, sugar-free could be, could have an even sugar-free organic um, could be monk fruit or stavia added as a sweetener. Or even um, a, a fruit puree. Um, so you still have to be a little... Uh, careful food labels can be very misleading sometimes mm-hmm.
0: so really the best thing is just to read the label and don't don't necessarily fall for the marketing because like you said it could have an artificial it could technically be sugar-free but have an artificial sweetener Um yeah. that is really terrible when it comes to health so just read the label and
3: but the, the, the label then. the new food labels that are starting to be introduced this year do differentiate added sugars from sugar so let's say on a yogurt for example there might be sugar from the from the dairy and there might be sugar from the fruit that's in there um, but the added sugar differentiation will let you know if any other sugars have been added on top of mm-hmm. that
2: mm-hmm.
3: then you have to look at the ingredient list because um, that there, there, there still could be added sugars in the ingredient list.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably it's like you said, Dr. Ventura, get your kids involved. Like we did a podcast with um, the allergy chef and um, this woman has many different allergies, but she got her kids involved in reading labels and her kids got so good at it. And they would say up oh, like sugar, chemical, more sugar, more chemicals. They would just like toss it. So uh, she sort of got them involved in reading labels and recognizing um Words that you know her kids couldn't you know pronounce, and if um, you can't really,
1: pronounce it, don't eat it. Is yeah, right?
0: <laughs> and uh, it really yeah, it, it became important to her kids too. Like, why are we eating sugar and chemicals? Like, let's eat real food. So probably right. not just with the food preparation, but even the reading the labels. Like, we don't want to be eating some of this junk. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's, that's really true. I think kids, I, my eight year old really enjoys doing that. He likes to kind of be the detective and, and look at food labels. Um, but another way to go about this is just making small shifts to buying less food products and more, mm-hmm. you know, really simple things that you can make that don't have a food label and you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So, as, you know, as one example, um, one of our recipes is whole fruit pops. So they're popsicles made out of just blended whole fruit. So you have your kid pick out, you know, whatever seasonal ripe fruit they like or, um, you know, or you can use some frozen fruit with a little splash of almond milk, or coconut milk, and just put that in the blender, blend it up and put it into the molds. I have these nice silicone ones where you put in the the real wooden popsicle stick and they come out really good. Uh, and my kids love those and they're so simple and there's nothing else in them um and you know you can make them when you have a little bit of time and then there's available in the freezer so. mhm
0: I mean, this book is great because even just talking about obesity in our children, it seems to be, I don't know the exact numbers. I'm sure you do, um, Dr. Grimm, but it seems to be climbing. Um, chronic illness for sure is climbing. Um, kids on different medications and everything just seems to be going up. The numbers are trending upward. So um, I think it's wonderful to have this resource to, you know, empower parents to take really a deep dive. Um, into food and ch- looking look at ingredients and notice the impact of sugar on their kids. And, you know, there could really be a, a real benefit on the other side of this.
3: Yeah. yeah I certainly hope so. Yeah, um, I mean, well, fatty liver disease, for example, wasn't even a disease 10 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Type 2 diabetes used to be called adult-onset diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we're seeing increases in children in the two in those two conditions and you know it might you might not have that condition but you can certainly have like be on, on the pathway like i mentioned earlier of preclinical or subclinical slowly evolving towards that and then have it uh, become earlier onset in adulthood than would typically occur mm-hmm. so the more you can do now the, the better the long term health outcome is going to be.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it seems as though in our society we're seeming to normalize this a little bit. But you're right; it wasn't it wasn't a thing. And um, it's really good to have this resource. So, where can people find this book and also find you? I mean, I, we connected on social media and Instagram. So, I guess let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can find your book.
3: Yeah, so we're on we're on Instagram and Facebook under the hashtag at sugarproofkids and then we have a website which is sugarproofkids.com and then the the book is available wherever it is that you're getting books from these days um whether that's at a bookstore or online through all the usual outlets also can ship worldwide for free on the bookdepository.com and it's available in all different formats too so it's available on Kindle. And audiobook as well. If you if you order the audiobook, you'll get a PDF of all the recipes, for example. So it's really um, it's available everywhere in all different formats.
1: Amazing! Yeah. Well, thank is, you guys. Thank yeah. you. So, oh, yeah. No, bo- both of us are like excited about this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, we really we really appreciate your time and. Um, you clearly know so much background and really understand not only the science behind it, but really the application that families need to help understand this and how to, how to put this into practice on a daily basis. Yeah. So thank you both for coming. Thank you so much for your time. And we really, uh, we hope everyone finds you guys on social media and checks out your book because it really is fabulous.
3: Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for taking the time and please join us. Come, come check us out and uh, hopefully we can, we can all learn together.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information. And since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or local pediatric professional. If you have specific concerns, we invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at
1: totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.